I'm excited to read to you this evening from um, a story in the Gospel of Luke. So we're going to put up on the screen there um, Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. It reads as follows. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together. One of my joys when I prepare for a talk is getting to take a little bit of extra time to look into some of the context of the passage, just to fill in some of the colorful details that aren't really necessary, or they would have been in the scripture, but they're actually quite interesting and fun for me to discover. So you get to partake in those this evening. Um, what I found especially interesting about this passage was to know that Emmaus is a town about seven miles northwest of Jerusalem, 
there's a map of it in relation to Jerusalem. So this is about the same distance, according to Google Maps, as it is from HTC to the Maritime Museum in Greenwich, or from here to just beyond the London Zoo, or to the far end of Richmond Park, to the golf course over that side. It's a journey that, according to Google Maps, is about two and a half hours to carry out on foot at a leisurely pace. Secondly, this image is an um, image of what they believe Emmaus would look like today, or where it is today. Its name actually, Emmaus, means hot springs. And this was especially interesting for me to discover, because in verse 32 of this passage, it says, the disciples said, didn't our hearts burn within us? And this image of a hot bubbling spring within their hearts is also what the word Emmaus means. Thirdly, this town today is called El Quebebe. From my perspective, I'm really grateful that it was known as Emmaus during the time of Jesus because to say El Quebebe multiple times during this message would leave me tongue-tied. And then finally, and potentially more helpful for all of us here today, is to understand why these two disciples were going there. Well, it's assumed that they lived there. And isn't this a beautiful piece of art? I just love that as well. So there are the three off to Emmaus. Now, it's debated by biblical scholars who exactly these two disciples were. We know for sure that one was a gentleman by the name of Cleopas, but some people believe the other one was potentially his wife by the name of Mary. Others believe that he was another male follower of Jesus. Either way, we know that they had just been in Jerusalem for the Passover at the time when Jesus was crucified. According to John, we know that Mary, the wife of Cleopas, had been present at the foot of the cross. She had seen Jesus crucified. She'd seen the nails driven into his hands, and she'd seen the cross lifted and dropped into the ground. She'd seen the blood. She'd heard him cry out, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? She experienced the darkness that overtook the world at that point. And finally, in case she wasn't convinced that he was dead, she saw the spear driven in his side. Mary would have had no doubt that Jesus was dead. And neither were Cleopas, who may have well have witnessed this at the same time. On the third day, we read that some of the disciples went to the tomb and saw that his body was gone. They saw the angel who said that Jesus had risen, and they rushed back to tell the mourning disciples that were gathered together. And here's the really fascinating thing. On that day, Cleopas and his companion, when they heard that maybe Jesus had risen, they didn't hang around. They carried on packing up their bags despite the rumors that Christ had risen. The idea of Jesus being raised from the dead was so far from their willingness to comprehend that they didn't even hang around to see if the rumors were true. I mean, what was happening in Emmaus that they needed to rush back for?
These two were so disappointed, so sad, as the word here is, that Jesus hadn't done what they thought he was going to do, that they ignored the whispers of hope that were going on around them. And I wonder if you and I can relate. They decided to pack it in and head away. I know that feeling. I've been in a place where I've trusted and believed that God would step in and act on my behalf in a certain way. And then when he didn't, instead of waiting around in hope, instead of growing towards other believers, instead of searching where maybe Jesus might be in this pain and in this disappointment, I've been tempted to walk away potentially feeling a fool for hoping, potentially wanting to get away from all those hopeful, cheerful followers of Jesus. Maybe all I wanted to do was mourn my loss and my disappointment. 12 years ago, I got pregnant with our first child, and about halfway through our pregnancy, we were told that our baby had a heart defect, and would more than likely not live for the duration of our pregnancy, and if he did, that he would probably die soon after being born. I know, my husband knows, we know that our God is a God of healing, and he's a God of miracles, and he's a God who wants good for his children, and he's a God who wants praise brought to his name. So we prayed, and we hoped and we trusted for a miracle that he would heal our baby's heart. Three days after our son Daniel was born, we said goodbye to him and we gave him back to God. His life was complete and we, just like those two disciples, were sad, for lack of a better word. We were confused, we were disappointed because God hadn't stepped in to save us in the way that we were sure he would. We'd rallied people from all over the world to pray for baby Daniel. We were telling our non-believing friends and colleagues that we were trusting in our God who has the power to heal. And when it didn't look like we anticipated it would, we too were tempted to turn our back on it all, on the hope that Jesus promises, on the fellowship of other believers. I totally understand these disciples and their decision to just pack it all in and head back. But how kind of God to choose to then appear to these two not immediately to the remaining 11 in capital E in the Bible that remained together back in Jerusalem, although he did appear to them later. But to these two, the much lesser known disciples, one we don't even know, we're not sure what his name was, the ones who were walking away from the center of the action. It reminds me even of the parable that Jesus tells of the sheep when the shepherd left the 99 in search of the one that had walked off. He is friend 
and he is companion to even the simple and half anonymous of us. And then, of all things, he asks them, so why are you sad? He's God. He sees their hearts. He knows their thoughts. He'd even been eavesdropping on their conversation. But to Jesus, it is so important that we reveal our hearts to him, that we name and we own our pain and our disappointment, and that we invite him into that moment of vulnerability as we confess our hurt and our confusion to him. We read then that they say in verse 21, but we had hoped that he would redeem Israel. Now, if you were here on Sunday or have been able to listen to Ed Veal's um, sermon, he spoke about the fact that we often come to God with our idea of what we need. But God sees into the core of our hearts and he wants to meet and fill our deepest need. You see, Jesus was redeeming Israel, but not as they'd expected. They wanted to be free from the rule of Rome, but he wanted them to be free from the rule of sin. And if we're honest, is the freedom that you and I really chase after the freedom from our sin or the freedom from anything that stops us from getting our own way in life. We do know that the freedom from sin starts with recognition of the sin, the recognition of our brokenness, the recognition of our pride, of our humanity, and that's not something we easily want to be confronted with. In this encounter, Jesus opens three things. Firstly, he opens the scriptures. If we too are longing to find truth, real answers, real life, we need to dive into the scriptures. Jesus himself started his public ministry by opening the scroll of Isaiah and teaching from those words when he stood up in the temple. And if he starts by opening up the scriptures, Maybe we should take a leaf from his book and go to the scriptures as our starting point too. Secondly, he opened their eyes. We see at the start of their journey together that Jesus chose to make himself unidentifiable. I love that these disciples were talking about Jesus as they were walking. They'd been disappointed, they'd been confused, they'd been let down by Jesus, but they were still wrestling with it. Spurgeon once wrote, speak of Jesus and you will soon speak to Jesus. When we feel disappointed and frustrated, even dare we say angry with how God has chosen to act or not act, he wants us to speak about it with one another. And more often than not, he reveals himself as we wrestle through it. 
I don't know if you've ever hidden your identity from someone for a short time. This is totally legally, I mean. Um, maybe playing a game for fun or maybe an especially well-thought-out April Fool's joke. Um, I personally, the extent of my hiding my identity has been um, in many rounds of um, hide-and-seek with my children. Um, and I don't know if you're the same as me, but I cannot wait for just the right moment to jump out and shout, it's me! <laughs> I'm here! Can't you see me? Um, and be so proud of myself. But Jesus had walked a good part of this journey. I mean, enough of the journey to go through the scriptures. He'd walked with these people, talked with these people, and surely everything in him was itching to say, it's me. I'm here. I'm in front of you. I'm right before you. But he waited, and he waited because I believe of all the things that he wanted them to recognize him as is the one who gave his body and the one who gave his blood and invites us then to dine with him. For these disciples, Jesus decided that the best time to reveal himself was at the breaking of bread. If you and I take the time to sit down with Jesus, to meet him in his word, recognize him as the one who broke his body and shed his blood that we might live, we too will have our eyes opened. And thirdly, he opened their understanding. Verse 45 says, he opened their minds so that they might understand the scriptures. So many of us know the Bible stories. We are spoiled to live in a country where the scripture is not illegal to read. If we don't know many of the scripture, we at least all probably know the story of Easter and the story of Christmas. But if we hear them with new understanding, the understanding that a revelation from the Holy Spirit gives if we allow him to, then these scriptures are so familiar, that have been so familiar and so uninteresting all this time, come to life so much so that we will want to respond in a similar way to these two disciples who turned around, end of the day, end of a seven-mile walk, end of recognizing Jesus who was dead and who's now alive and who's standing in front of them, turned around and ran the seven miles back to Emmaus to tell the disciples they all about it. True understanding and recognition of who Jesus is must move us into action. In retrospect, these disciples recognized that while Jesus had been speaking to them from the scriptures that their hearts had been burning within them. And I wonder over these past six weeks of this series or over the past few months or past few years, can you recognize instances when your heart has burned within you as you've encountered truth? And my invitation to us all tonight is to pay attention, to lean into that truth, to speak with God, 
whether it be to share your frustrations and your disappointment, and even if it seems silly because you know that he knows, to open up to him, to open up to the opportunity of fellowship with other, other struggling believers. And I know because he has done the same for me that he will reveal himself to you in powerful ways if you seek him with all your heart. Let us close in prayer. Oh Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word and we thank you that it is truth that is powerful to save and that it is as true today as it was when it was penned, when you breathed it into life, and as it was to these disciples as they met you on the way to Emmaus. We pray, Lord Jesus, for hearts that would be open to receiving your truth. We pray for minds that would understand and Jesus, we pray for encounters with you that cannot be questioned, that cannot be taken from us, and that will move us, Jesus, into deeper relationships with you, into vulnerable places with other believers, and into action as we reach out and tell other people about the amazing love of our God. Thank you for your kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.